Welcome to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander. Thank you so much for joining us on this Saturday morning. Bill, how are you doing today? Jason, I'm fine. Hope you are. I'm doing wonderful, Bill, and I need to wish you a uh, belated <laughs> Veterans Day. I know we uh, didn't get to talk about it because it was a little bit too early last weekend, but I, I do want to thank you and well, thank I, you for all your service, I, Bill. I appreciate that. Uh, and actually, I have some thoughts uh, about uh, Veterans Day. I, I do think it's an extremely important day f- in terms of remembering uh, those who, um, in sacrifice to the country, have given their lives and the families that have endured um, that loss. Um you know, we're a grateful nation, and, and, and that's way beyond anything I ever did, for sure, <laughs> you know. But, you know, I, frankly, I, I guess, um, you know, every time I go into Lowe's, I get thanked for my service, which is pretty cool, you know. And I didn't realize until recently that Lowe's uh, was actually started by two veterans. And so one of the nice things about uh, shopping at Lowe's for me is the fact that I always get a 10% discount. Um, and it's uh, on everything. It You know, that's, that's pretty cool. And there are a lot of other uh, stores and organizations that that um, give a nice discount. And, and I can tell you, it's, it is very much appreciated. <laughs> but um, this will sound a little funky, I guess, but you know, for for whatever reason, I, I've always thought that um, being thanked for my service um, is it's not necessarily the right word. It is in some ways because we're being thanked for service to the country, uh, but. Uh, and, and there is service, just like anyone uh, who gives, uh, who serves the community. I mean, there are a lot of different ways to serve this country. The military is one of those ways that people should appreciate because the great majority of people don't have the risk of giving their life or injury um, for, for serving the country that that's a very different kind of thing now you may have risk of a truck running over you or being at the wrong place at the wrong time but but that's not intentionally putting yourself in in harm's way but um to me um military service there's a lot of sacrifice uh to it and and in some ways i think sacrifice is is the better word in many ways, but it's not necessarily the, – the folks who are getting the, the short shrift in terms of veterans being thanked uh, for service is the veteran's family, the spouse particularly. Um, but uh, – and, you know, when it comes to serving in the military, the, the folks that I – served with, and I think this is true for all of us who served, is that there is a big piece of patriotism that goes with it. It Love of country, love of being able to do the right thing. Uh, Of course, the military does a lot of things for you that are all 
good. Um, it, it makes you organized. It, it um, gives you habits that are lifelong habits that are helpful to you personally and family. But people join the military for so many different reasons. Um, some folks simply uh, join the military as a way to get away and, and see different parts of the world, and sometimes they see parts of the world they wish they never <laughs> went to see. But uh, but most of us also get the opportunity to see other parts of the world that are fabulous and wonderful, and, and we're grateful that we've had the opportunity to, to see some wonderful places uh, in the world, whether it's in Europe or Asia or Africa or South America or, or wherever it is. Uh, you know, other people join to get away from a bad situation, uh, which I certainly can appreciate because it's, it's uh, an easy path forward um, that uh, can be very appropriate for lots and lots of, of um, people. Uh, others do it because they're educational opportunities through the military. Or if you don't want to think of it in terms of education, you can think of it in terms of learning skills. Um, the military offers an, an amazing array of, of skills, and it's not all of, it's not about necessarily warfighting skills. It can be technology skills. It can it, I mean, there's just so many skills uh, that uh, that you can learn. and, and the military is, is a little world to itself or a big world to itself if you really get down to it. Um, but no matter how, why people join the military, you, you recognize when you join the military that there is risk of giving it all. Um, and, and that's just a part of the military, and that's why so many people stay away uh, from the military, and they, and they don't have that same uh, level of, of sacrifice. But, but one thing that is a guarantee when you join the military, and it's unfortunate, but you can, you can ask any kid, uh, a child of a military uh, veteran, and they'll know exactly what I'm talking about. And that's mom or dad is always gone. Uh, you know, it, it basically means when you join the military that you're going to be away from your family a lot. And in essence, your spouse is having to rear your children as a one-parent family uh, so frequently. Uh, and that's, that's why I say the spouse of military veterans, they're not getting the credit that they deserve because our ability to serve is based upon someone else's sacrifice uh, by taking uh, charge of everything uh, at home. And I just want people to recognize that that takes an un, uh, just as much patriotism, <laughs> if not more, because I think that job is harder than what we do in the military. Uh, I know that sounds crazy in some ways, but it, it really is. Um, plus, the spouse at home has the stress of knowing that they're a loved one may not come back or make even worse sometimes is coming back significantly injured or mentally altered. Uh, it's really difficult for, for that transition to take place, for, for particularly 
for uh, military members who serve uh, in a warfighting um, uh, situation. It, it's a real difficult transition for so many folks. Um, and what a lot of folks don't really recognize is that when we go away, that's not necessarily difficult for us in the military because, in essence, we have a second family. We have people that we become very, very close to. Uh, and, and it, it uh, I won't call it bigamous, but, <laughs> but what I'm getting at is I can, uh, I mean, in my own experience, I can say that when I was away, I, yes, I missed my wife, I missed my children. However, I had a second family and I enjoyed being with my second family and I enjoyed the work that we did and what we accomplished and I felt fulfilled by that. And, you know, it's it's a greater fulfillment, if you will, when you realize that what you're doing is serving the country, it protecting the country, protecting those values that we hold dear. Those, you know, I know I'm going on way too long, but I, the, the point I'm trying to make is that it's those we leave at home that deserve as much, if not more, credit than the military veterans ourselves. And so I, I, I don't think I would get much pushback from veterans in terms of, <laughs> of what I'm actually saying um, because uh, the, our spouses at home are the ones who really um, uh, had to deal with the brunt uh, of uh, sacrifice, if you will. Yeah, I think that's very well said, and I imagine there may be a spouse or two clapping at the radio right now for you, Bill, saying, thank you, someone finally said it. I'm glad someone appreciates it. Uh, well, it's it. important. It really is. And and uh, n- now, w- with that said, because, you know, second family, you know, in terms of friendships that we make in the military, I mean, for me, I made lifelong friends of people who I'm very close to. And unfortunately, I've lost some of them already. And it's very difficult when we lose our close friends. Um, and, uh, it, it, you know, you expect that in the military, but at the same time, we make those friendships. And whether you've ever served in the military or not, makes uh, the, the point is that friends are important. Uh, and it and it's the kind of thing where um, uh, to to have friends you have to be a friend you have to put yourself out there and um, it, it's important in planning for life in terms of estate planning what we talk about it's you know family's important particularly if you have a wonderful family, but not all of us have wonderful families. In other words, if you have a good marriage, if you have children that love you and are are there and and they come for Thanksgiving and Christmas and you enjoy your grandchildren, those people are so fortunate because there are lots and lots of folks that can't say that. They have uh, children that are estranged, that don't call, don't pay attention, don't do anything. They have no relationship with the grandchildren, you know. And so, um, for those folks, I, I hope that you know, if the family isn't the way it should be, that they have reached out and formed strong friendships because all of us need that. And you know, frankly, whether we're talking about planning 
or whether we're talking about retirement, uh, which is an important issue for all of us. I mean, hopefully you'll get there, Jason. One day. (laughs) But, uh, you know, what is really important is it's more than money, a lot more than money, although that's important. I mean, that's part of the estate planning and legal planning and all that good stuff. But it's all about what are you going to do with yourself? What are you doing that's important that you feel good about? And so what I tell folks is what are you passionate about? You know, what is it that drives you internally and makes you feel better? You know, for, for some folks, it's what they do through their church or mission work. Uh, it may be a hobby. It may be travel. It may be, but it's something that has to turn you on in a big way. And um, what I what I want folks to know is, it's okay for your money to follow your passion. It doesn't have, you know, if it's the kind of thing where yes, there are expectations generally among children that they will inherit from you. But the question is, do do they deserve it? (laughs) You know, do your children really deserve an inheritance from you? I mean, are they good to you? Are are they there for you? Are they the persons that you trust and that you love and and those kinds of things? Um, and, And unfortunately, not all children deserve you know what they end up getting you know it's it's um so uh, regardless of whether you have a wonderful family or whether you have a dysfunctional family it really comes down to passion in other words what drives you and that really is what should drive your estate planning and your legal planning Uh, passion is where it comes now Obviously, for those who have a wonderful family, and as we approach Thanksgiving, I think, you know, again, that's my favorite holiday of the whole year. It's wonderful because your family can come together, and sometimes it's friends who come together as well with no expectation of anything other than being together and having a wonderful meal together. I mean, what could be better than that? <laughs> I love it. You know, it's wonderful. Now, of course, you know, when I'm talking about family and sacrifice and, uh, you know, this is where the kudos go out to the chefs and the ladies out there that, <laughs> that, that cause, you know, uh, unfortunately or fortunately for me, I get to sit back and, and I just do the few little things that I'm, I'm told to do to, to get things ready. But the real work goes on with the other side of the family where the, the turkey's being cooked and all of the food and preparation and all that good stuff, which for a lot of folks, um, you know, truthfully, particularly if they have help in the kitchen, it's a lot of fun. Um, but, um, I, you know, I'm not in the kitchen as much as what I probably should be. <laughs> I'm not I'm not too bad at cleaning up, but, I, <laughs> you know, I don't mind doing that part. As long as you pitch in and make the effort, I think that that's appreciated. And in some instances, they may be happy that you're uh, you're away from the kitchen while the cooking is going on. Well, Bill, we got to take a quick break, but I want to continue our conversation right after this. Hang on. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 W. PTF.
You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander. And thank you for joining us. We are, uh, Bill, we were talking a little bit about Veterans Day, which just passed on Monday. And I also need to give a shout out to you because uh, you held uh, seminars on Wednesday as well. Your three seminars, two focused on uh, long-term care crisis and assistance and also your asset protection seminar. I hope turnout was great. And- was, we, all, we are having good turnout every time, and I'm really enjoying it, of course. We are continuing to do our seminar that focuses on uh, financial assistance for long-term care. It's one of the disasters that can happen to families, and and folks don't realize what. Uh, uh, but there is actually a seventy percent chance that you will have a long-term care disaster during your lifetime, uh, and, and that. And I'm. Uh, now, once you get to 65, the percentage, you know, actually uh, is a higher percentage each year. But at the same time, even a young person has uh, a potential crisis as it relates to long-term care. There's a fairly high percentage of folks who are uh, needing long-term care that end up disabled and needing assistance before they're 65. It's it's a much higher percentage than I'd like to admit to. But most people who have long-term care uh, crisis do not have the financial resources to pay for it. One of the shockers is how expensive it is to get help. Uh, and there is some government expend, uh, government assistance, depending on the folks. And, of course, there are so many absolute falsehoods out there in terms of what people think as it relates to government assistance for long-term care needs. Uh, and, I, you know I, know, I know I talk about it all the time, but it's the kind of thing where I have to repeat it over and over because it doesn't sink in until people are actually fa- facing the, the crisis. I, I feel like a car salesman because, <laughs> well, you think about it. I mean, all of the uh, advertisements for, for motor vehicles that you uh, see and hear, you know, on the radio, on television, in the newspaper – it's everywhere. But you know what? Unless you're looking for a car, it doesn't sink in. I mean, you just it just goes away. Well, the same thing's true for long-term care in that unless you're dealing with a family issue, the fact that somebody's preaching at you, it doesn't sink in. And so there I mean, so some of the easy falsehoods out there is the biggest for particularly if a person needs uh, nursing facility care, where you have to go to a nursing home, Medicaid does not require you to be poor. I mean, you don't have to give everything away. Uh, there are rules that allow middle class families to receive assistance. Now, they're complicated rules, and that's why we stay busy, but you don't have to be poor. And then there's an opposite lie that is, if you're poor, you're you are automatically uh, entitled to government assistance, and that's not true at all. The the folks who give everything away, thinking oh the government's going to take care of me, they are ab- they are fools, because there's a huge hole in the safety net 
where there's most people cannot receive assistance at home where people want to be, and the majority of us can receive no government assistance uh, if we need help with activities of daily living at home or in an assisted living facility because our income, even though we have no resources like assets and money in the bank, our income may be too high. And, and, and there are a lot of states that have no safety net at all for assistance at home or assistance uh, in an assisted living facility. North Carolina has one that's better than our surrounding states, but it still has a huge hole in it where a lot of folks can get no assistance at all. Well, f- folks need to know whether that's a possibility for them or not. And that's one reason why our seminars are so important. Is, of course, as you know, we will be doing the seminar again uh, in December, the second Wednesday of December. And I would encourage uh, families uh, who realize that they are in a crisis for long-term care or they see it over the next hill, <laughs> they may want to come to the seminar to get that kind of information because, hey, it's free, it's accurate, and there's no other way to get this kind of accurate information. You can't go to the library and check out a book on it. It does not exist. So you have to get your information from a reliable source. And unfortunately, you can't get that kind of information from the Department of Social Services. You can't get it from financial advisors. You can't get it. uh, I mean, the bottom line is this seminar is one of the few places that you can get accurate information on what uh, assistance exists and whether you might be able to get it or not. And if you and if you're potentially eligible, what do you have to do to actually be eligible? And how do you protect your assets at the same time? All of that's important. But you know, actually, where I'm having the most fun is the seminar that I'm doing at two o'clock, which is not on the Medicaid and veterans benefits and the like, my two o'clock seminar is actually on trusts-based planning and asset protection. And I'm having a lot of fun with that. There are a lot of folks who are interested in whether a revocable trust is something that would be helpful to them or their family. Uh, There are others who want to know how trusts work in terms of protecting their assets for themselves and their children and grandchildren. And uh, for me, that's that's the seminar where I'm having a lot of fun because uh, it is an area that's confusing to people. And uh, truthfully, not everybody needs a revocable trust. I mean, a revocable trust has a lot of advantages uh, but there are lots and lots of folks who don't need a trust. I had a, a client um, uh, just this past week, uh, and a wonderful man. He, he came in with lots and lots of questions, but um, uh, his his circumstance was he, he was in his he was early fifties, uh, doing well, um, and his estate was actually. A little over a million dollars. I mean, he was doing well financially, particularly for his age, Had has good income, has two young children, okay, two 10-year-olds, and um, 
his wife is a homemaker. In other words, she's she's at home taking care of things there, making sure the kids are good, you know, which is pretty hard to do. <laughs> and so the financial piece is on him. Um, and he came in, and it was like, okay, we need to redo our documents. They actually moved in from out of state. And it was like, okay, what he what I recommended to him was that he create have all of his ancillary documents. And by ancillaries, that basically means having a financial power of attorney, a health care power of attorney, an advanced directive for natural death, sometimes called a living will, a medical release for HIPAA compliance. And so that go the HIP the, the medical release goes with the advanced directive and the healthcare power of attorney, and then a digital release because so many most of us have computers and smartphones and we actually do have assets and resources that are in the cloud or online, and uh, giving someone legal permission to access uh, those digital assets. It's an extremely important thing for most uh, families. And so those are ancillary documents that every person should have at any age. And so many folks don't have those. I was, um, you know, I was talking to another young uh, lady who was married and has a one uh, child, uh, young, young child, and had one in the oven as well. And she and her husband had no documents whatsoever. Well, you know, these ancillary documents are documents that you hope you'll never need. I mean, they are just-in-case documents, and they're so important. I mean, if you don't have the documents, and let's say that the young lady has had a huge issue with the birth of her child, they'll, they'll turn to the husband and let the husband make certain decisions if the wife can't, can't communicate the mother can't communicate, but but those decisions are very limited, uh, unfortunately, because there's no health care power of attorney. So they're 10 times better off if they've appointed each other as their health care agent so that, that they can make any kind of appropriate health care decision. So that's really important. The advanced directive for natural death, of course, that's huge too. And a person of it's so limited in scope. It's only for hopeless situations. So, from my own perspective, even a person who turns eighteen should have one. I mean, it's that limited. I, I would want my own children to have them, and do, uh, because it is so limited, and it's a and it's appropriate not for everyone, but for most people. So, now with with that said. Yes, because this fella who has an estate of over a million dollars, could he have done a revocable trust? Yes, he could. But I recommended that he simply have a testamentary trust for his children because the way their home is, I mean, everything is set up, they would want, if one of them died, whether it was the husband or wife, they would want the spouse to have all of the property uh, in order to be able to manage the household and keep taking care of their young children and, and the like. And so what they really needed was a testamentary trust. That means a trust in their last will and testament to appoint a guardian, to appoint a trustee, 
in order to, and then put in all of the parameters on uh, how to take care of their children, what's important for them, their values, what what their hopes are uh, for their children, how to do that. And so many parents don't have that kind of planning. Well, we, in at least at W.G. Alexander and Associates, I, I've had that kind of planning available to younger parents uh, for 30 years <laughs> or more, actually closer to 40 years, because uh, this is my 45th year of practice, and I just think that that's really important for parents to have that kind of planning. You hope, again, you hope that you never need it, because you hope you see your children and grandchildren grow up. But the fact is that you can be in a horrible accident, you know, airplane crash, car accident, whatever, and it takes both husband and wife out of the picture. And if you have a good plan, then your children will be in good shape. And and this particular fellow, if he died, his estate would be worth more than $2 million. Well, you know, that leaves a nice trust. You want to be able to appoint the person that you trust to be able to handle that money. Uh, and obviously it can't be you. It can't be your spouse. So it's got it got to be somebody else. And in this particular case, it was siblings, um, one to basically take care of the children physically, and another to take care of their money and to make sure that they had everything they needed financially. So um, th- that's what planning is all about, and I think that's really uh, Im- important as to how that works. And, of course, you know, earlier I was talking about passion and how that works. I met with another family where they have a, uh, a they have two children, a son and a daughter, and one granddaughter. And the son, is, even though he based the, the parents have been supporting him and he's, he's um, a, an adult, uh, uh, and by porting, he lives in a home that, that is actually owned by the parents, doesn't pay rent, and, and he's estranged. He doesn't call his parents, doesn't look in on them, even though he's taking advantage of his parents. That's absolutely wrong. And then a daughter... Uh, who basically is doing her own thing and not really looking after the needs of, of the parents. Not estranged, but at the same time, not there for them either. Uh, and so who, who's the person in the, in the picture? It's actually the granddaughter. Um, and, and so it's like, well, who do you want to leave your property to? Uh, and, and from my own perspective, I've already said it, it's, well, where's the passion, you know? <laughs> so, um, and, and of course, I'm not going to go into what their decisions are, but I'm just saying that that's, uh, that's really what's important. You know, your children don't necessarily deserve an inheritance. Sometimes you want to make sure they're okay, though, no matter how bad they are. So it's all a matter of what's important to you. And, um, you know, so th- that's what planning is all about. Now, I realize I've gone on along too far on that, but I want to talk about IRAs versus 401ks. So if, uh, I wanted to put that 
in there just so when we come back, we can do that. We will get to that conversation. And if you've been putting off planning yourself and you may be identifying with some of the situations that Bill has talked about because family dynamics can be kind of tricky, schedule an appointment to talk to Bill and see what planning might make the most sense for you. You can go online to wgalaw.com. That's Bill's website, wgalaw.com. Or you can call 919-256-7000. 919-256-7000. A quick break and back with more. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. News Radio 680 WPTF. This is Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. He's Bill Alexander. I'm Jason Kong, and we thank you for joining us this morning. And Bill, just before the break, we were going to discuss IRAs and 401ks. Well, it's important, and I'm going to get into my teacher mode here. Oh, boy, I'm ready. <laughs> well, the, the the fact is, is that there are numerous differences between 401k plans and IRA plans, uh, they're both retirement plans, and they're both extremely important uh, to folks, um, but there are differences in a 401ks and IRAs that are substantial. They're little differences that can cost big bucks, and that's why it's really important for folks to understand the differences. Um, now, uh, an IRA is an individual retirement plan. It is not a ERISA plan. Uh, and it, you can have IRA plans through employment, or you can set one up yourself. That's why they're called individual plans. 401k plans are plans that are offered by employers, and, and typically medium and larger employers generally, in fact, shame on them if they don't, offer uh, 401k retirement plans. And most employers, shame on them if they don't, contribute. Um, in other words, uh, they allow the employee to contribute part of their salary, and then the employer matches uh, that contribution. Um, and with four, and of course the rules are different depending on what type of plan it is. Um, uh, I, I believe with 401k plans, employers can actually match up to six percent. Most employers don't match that much. Most of them, I guess, the average is probably four uh, percent. But it depends on the employer. Uh, the more they match, the better. Um, and of course, anything that the employee contributes is is uh, the tax deferred. In other words, there's no income tax that year when you contribute it to a retirement plan, which is one of the nice things about having a retirement plan. It can reduce uh, your tax load on yourself. But uh, what's really important for folks to un- now the, one of the disadvantages with an, a four hundred one k is that you are limited to the investments that are offered by your employer, um, and 
and that's uh, with an IRA, uh, you have far more choices in terms of uh, what you invest in. And in fact, I, I have an attorney down uh, in Wilmington that I, I co-counsel with for what's called a self-directed IRA. So if you're, for instance, a real estate investor and want to use your retirement funds for um, uh, investing in an apartment building or something along those lines, you can actually set it up in order to use your IRA, as opposed to just using it for mutual funds uh, or exchange-traded funds or stocks, bonds, those kinds of things, uh, which is the normal type of investment that you would see uh, with an investment plan in a 401k. You don't have self-directed 401ks. You're limited to the uh, investment choices given to you by your employer. But there are some advantages to uh, 401ks over IRAs. Um, one is that a 401k is an ERISA plan. And what that basically does for you is it means that your 401k is a protected asset. People are interested in what's asset protected. Well, your 401k, a creditor cannot take away your 401k plan. That's huge, particularly if you end up declaring bankruptcy or if somebody sues you uh, and gets a judgment against you. Those creditors cannot take your 401k plan because federal law protects your 401k plan. Now, as I've already said, your IRA is not an ERISA plan. And it's not protected by federal law. Now, a, a, an IRA that you create for yourself, to the best of my knowledge, is protected by state law in every state. But uh, – and if you're, if you're a uh, surviving spouse and you receive your spouse's IRA – uh, that generally is done as a rollover, and it is a protected asset. But anyone other than your spouse receiving uh, an IRA distribution, that's considered an inherited IRA, and that is protected in some states, and North Carolina has some protection for inherited IRAs, and it's not protected from creditors in many, many other states. So where do your children live might make a difference. So <laughs> you see where I'm coming from. So asset protection is one issue that there are differences between your 401k and an IRA. Uh, and your investment choices are a big difference between a 401k and an IRA. But what, why might you keep a 401k? Well, if you're planning to work past 70, you know, because you enjoy what you – that's me. I mean, I'm not 70 yet, but but I love what I do. And so, yes, I plan to continue to work and do the same thing I'm doing right now. Hopefully, when I'm 75 and even 80 or 85, if I'm still good at what I'm doing. And so if you're one of those and, and you are still working – you don't have to take minimum required distributions when you turn 70 and a half because the way a 401k plan works, if you're still working, you have to take your 401k distributions when you retire, the year you retire, or when you turn 70 and a half, 
whichever is later. Well, that's huge. Not true for an IRA. For individual retirement accounts, you have required minimum distributions the year you turn 70 and a half. And so that is real important. Now, the other thing that I have mentioned about required minimum distributions is that Congress is now looking at changing uh, what's distributed, uh, the distribution schemes for inherited IRAs. So this will not affect your own uh, retirement account. It will not affect your spouse receiving your retirement account upon your death. But anyone else, children, siblings, whoever else might be the beneficiary of your IRA, uh, or uh, 401k, then that that does make a huge difference. Now, what I've just learned is that it's highly unlikely that, that these changes that have been proposed will take place this year. It's been held up in the Senate, and it's not likely to come out this year. So I think we're going to be safe from uh, these uh, big changes that Congress was uh, uh, proposing. It's called the SECURE Act, and it was simply a way for Congress to, to force you to take distributions early in inherited IRAs. And of course, the difference is m- most folks like the concept of stretching IRAs uh, for their... Now, 401ks, you can't stretch those most of the time because more often than not, the employer plan has a payout, uh, either a lump sum payout that you can then roll over into an IRA or maybe a five-year distribution, which you may be able to roll over to an IRA. And you should always consider rolling it over rather than taking the distribution because anytime you take a distribution, that is fully taxable no matter what. Now, I know we have to take a break. You're looking at me funny. Um, So when we come back, I want to talk about, continue to talk about some of the differences in terms of where you might be penalized or not penalized, depending on whether it's 401k or an IRA, if you take out an early distribution. We'll talk about early distributions, and uh, I do want to give a nice little plug to you, Bill. I know you did a, a podcast related to the SECURE Act. You can find that at WGALaw.com. Look for the Asset Protection Today podcast, and uh, you may have to scroll back a little bit, but I do remember you had a nice breakdown there of the SECURE Act and what that would mean for uh, stretching IRAs. Well, thanks. Yeah, Absolutely. Quick break and back. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Welcome back to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander. And Bill, you were warning us about early distributions when it comes to IRAs and 401ks. Right. Okay. In other words, where you whether you have to take the 10% penalty, and sometimes it's best to distribute it from a 401k to an IRA, and sometimes it's not. For instance, um, uh, uh, many 401k plans allow you to actually borrow against your retirement account and pay it back at a low interest rate. Well, you can't do that from an IRA. And if you borrow against your IRA, that's a distribution and you get screwed in a 10% penalty. So that's uh, 
uh, important as it relates to that. I've already talked about the difference in creditor protection. That's huge. Let's say that you uh, want to take, you know, another reason is you might take a withdrawal is to, for a first-time home buyer, uh, well, the truth is, is that from a 401k, if you did it, that would incur a 10% penalty, assuming that you're under 59 and a half. Obviously, the general rule is if you take a distribution before 59 and a half, there is a 10% penalty. There's tax, but there's also a 10% penalty on top of that. So that's that's the general rule. But there are lots of exceptions depending on whether it's a 401k, an IRA, and what you're taking the distribution for. So, for instance, um, uh, if you borrowed, uh, say, $10,000 to buy your first house from your uh, – uh, or you took a distribution from your IRA, you you would not have a penalty. If you took the same distribution from your 401K, you would have a 10% uh, penalty. But there's a solution, obviously. You could take your 401K money – Roll it into an IRA, then take your distribution for first-time home buyer, and not have the 10% penalty. But any distribution you take, you'll always have ordinary income tax on the entire distribution, no matter what you take it for. That's important. And it's important to know those differences to get the optimized benefit for yourself. A quick break and back. We'll wrap up the program right after this. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. You can find more information about Bill at WGALaw.com. WGALaw.com. That's where you can register for Bill's December seminar. That is the second Wednesday of the month. That is December 11th. You can find plenty of information on the website. If you do want to register, you can also call the office 919. 919- Two five six seven thousand nine one nine two five six seven thousand. We are out of time for today. On behalf of Bill Alexander, I'm Jason Kong. Thanking you so much for joining us today. We hope you'll do it again next Saturday at eleven. It's Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio six eighty WPTF. Have a wonderful weekend.